All right, all right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, so good to see you guys here this morning. I do want to mention uh, I was at youth camp this last week. This is I did two weeks in a row of youth camps, uh, and uh, and so I'm a little bit tired. But you know what's funny and crazy about that is, like, I just want you to know. I cannot, uh, it's hard to describe, like, you know when you read the Bible, like you're reading the Gospels, you're reading about Jesus, and it's like, it just seems like, man, like, like he, there's a healing, and then, and then like, he's, there's this, like teaching in the open air, and then there's like, you know, he's like teaching them how to pray, and it's just like, boom, 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 like ministry, 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 and then like a demon comes out, like, that is basically youth camp, and, uh, you know, including the demons this year, but like, uh, not, that's not what the, we call the youth, that's not their nickname, but uh, I mean, there was one youth leader who said that, but they're not here. Um, so uh, anyway, no, I, like the reality is it's like seeing God's kingdom up close. Like I just spent two weeks uh, seeing God's kingdom at hand. Like we live in a world that is like broken, dead, and dying. And yet most people I know are putting their hope in the world or the things of this world. Uh, and the world is, you know, broken, dead, and dying. And, uh, and I think you can experience that, right? It can create in you this deep uh, sense of depression or longing or anxiety or worry or concern or fear. Uh, and, and what's crazy is uh, at youth camp, you know, you go and you get in and man, it's tiring. Like lit- when I say tiring, I mean like you're up at 7 a.m. sometimes before that, not sleeping on it. I mean, you're sleeping on like a mattress like there's like one Adam Thick, uh, and uh, it, it's it, it's not you know when you're a 250 pound man, it's like these were not designed for me, uh, and so it's like you're up in the morning. 7 a.m., like there were nights, I got back to our cabin at 11.30, and it's like ministry the whole way through. Like that was Tuesday, that was Wednesday, that was Thursday, like, uh, and, and you may be like, well, that seems like a lot, but like the truth is, is when you see God at work, like I'm coming back to the cabin late at night, like just enthralled, I'm thrilled, I get to minister to kids, I get to, I, I, I got to see kids give their lives to Jesus, I got to lead a couple of kids to Jesus, I got to uh, talk with counselors, uh, and, and then on top of that, there were some kids there uh, from other places places that, uh, from some other churches that had what would be actual demonic, like, oppression happening in their lives. And if you're here and you're like, well, I don't know if I believe that, uh, some of our counselors, we saw some of this. In fact, I had to minister to a counselor who I think, she was a Christian, I don't think she believed demons existed. She's literally looked at me and she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Because one of, one of the kids, like, while they were praying for her, uh, she had a small group meeting and basically this, this little, this girl had like a, like a New Testament, like demonic manifestation, we would call it, where like something happened in the room that was, that was not normal, not natural. And this lady was a trained nurse. She's an RN and she's like, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, this is not physical. This is not normal. Like, and she's like, and so, and now here's the thing. We had a bunch of, like, thank God we had some lead pastors there, right? Where my, like my call, my gifting is to, to be there to help minister that. Another lead pastor was working with this girl who, guess what, by the way, got delivered and gave her life to Jesus, <laughs> right? Again, our world is broken, dead, and dying, and the things of this world do not solve the problems, but the Spirit of God can set people free from things this world does not even have a category for, uh, and we got to see all three of the kids who I would say had some sort of, you know, demonic, uh, either oppression uh, or, or issue going on in their life. Severe. And by the way, I've done a lot of youth camps. I mean, well, I've done four in the last two years. Uh, I've never seen that level of, like, like, you know, I mean, th- this, this would be atypical. Uh, even the camp staff came to our leaders and were like, we are sensing some like real dark spiritual stuff going on. And they were like, Why, we don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, it's clearly like the kingdom of God work because there's like oppression coming against you. The Bible tells us that, uh, that uh, the gates of hell won't prevail against us. And the idea here is that when we are doing kingdom of God work, we are like gates are defensive, right? We are pushing into enemy territory. And I want you to know that not just here as a church, but here as a, a group, like in the Midwest, we're gathering our youth, and God is calling this generation, right? Like, you, again, you go to the culture, you look at the culture where they say, like, oh, you know, they're always making fun of the next generation. They're always so hopeless and so despairing and so depressing about the next generation. Oh, they're so stupid, or oh, they're all addicted to social media. I mean, that is, those are demonic, evil lies. Don't let those things come out of your mouth. Like, Jesus is calling this generation. They're image bearers of God. Uh, and when you go see the kingdom of God at work in the next generation, here's what I want you to know is, God calls every generation. 
He calls every generation. He's not gonna forget one, and I am witnessing. I was in California two weeks ago, uh, or uh, I don't know, 10 days ago at a youth camp, uh, and I'm watching God call a generation. Uh, I, was the, I was at our youth camp this week, and I'm watching God call a generation right before my eyes, and it is glorious, uh, and it turns out God is sovereign. So God's will will be done. Right? God's kingdom isn't just coming uh, in the future. God's kingdom is coming now. Like His kingdom is at hand, right? That's what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring God's kingdom, and uh, it's happening. It's here, and I just want you guys to be encouraged uh, because I don't know if in my life I've seen a more, like, I don't know if I've seen more kingdom of God power in one week than I just saw uh, in the last, I mean, there's only five days, right? Uh, I, I, like, I don't know if I've seen more Kingdom of God work in, in, in such a short span of time as I got to see this week. Uh, and so if you sent your kids there, like you sent them to a wonderful place where the kingdom, I mean, like all the youth can attest, I'm so proud of our young men and women, uh, you know, just seeking after Jesus, worshiping hard, opening up in small group, uh, giving their hearts to Jesus and saying, you know what? Like, this isn't my, pa- my parents' faith. This is my faith. This isn't like, about me just showing up to church because this is where I was born. This is about me saying yes to Jesus because he's real and personal uh, to me. So I'm proud of our young men. I'm proud of our young women. Uh, and uh, if you have kids that didn't make it to youth camp uh, this year, like we do this every year, uh, I wish we could do it more than once because uh, anybody who goes, you know, Trent was there, Michelle was there, my wife Mackenzie was there here from Living Hope. And, uh, and I mean, just ask any of us, uh, you, you can, you'll hear tons of stories. I mean, there's just more stories than I have time uh, to tell, uh, you know, in this minute. But I just wanted to, I just wanted to really uh, update you guys and, and sort of tag along with what Trent shared. And Trent, you killed it. Uh, I mean, great job. Just, I, I'm so proud of Trent and the way he ministers to these kids. Just kids from other youth camps were like, you know, running up to Trent. And I saw him praying with kids and ministering to kids. And I, I saw the same thing from Michelle. Uh, Michelle, uh, who also is like, she's kind of become uh, the camp uh, MC, uh, that's basically her role, and uh, she's, she leads what we call like team shenanigans, uh, and if you know Michelle at all, you realize that God made her in a Holy Spirit lab uh, for shenanigans, uh, which is great for youth, uh, and then Mackenzie just, uh, it was great to see her, obviously she's my wife, so I'm partial to her, uh, and, but just seeing her minister, and having her there was su- such a blessing, uh, it was such, such, such a wonderful blessing. So uh, with that said, guys, be encouraged. Like, if you get one takeaway from today, I mean, actually, uh, the, the big takeaway from, we're working through the book of Esther, uh, is, is this, is uh, that God's hand is always active. Uh, God's hand is always active. Even when you can't see it, God's hand is always active. Uh, in the circumstances of our world, right, you may look at a world and say, oh, it's dead, it's broken, it's dying. While that is true, God's hand is still at work. Uh, you want to know where there's hope. There's not hope in politicians. There's not hope uh, in princes. There's not hope in policy, but there's hope in the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the kingdom of God. Uh, and, uh, and God is always active in the circumstances of our world. And God is always guarding and blessing and operating in the lives of his people, even when you may not realize it. And, and I just, if you get a takeaway, like youth camp very much demonstrates uh, a lot of what we're talking about through the, the, the book of Esther, which is that God is at work. God is, his kingdom is coming. And, and this shouldn't make you say, oh, well, God's got it. And then we just sit back. No, no, no. This should, this should stir you to raise your heart up uh, and, and to say, Lord, I want to go. I want to be there, right? Like I want, I, I want our church to be a church to where we have to say no because we have too many people wanting to sign up for youth camp counseling. Like, that's where I want us to be, right? If you're here and you're like, man, I want to see the kingdom of God. I want to see this kind of stuff. Like, hey, sign up. Become a youth camp counselor next year. You will not regret it. It will change your life. You'll have a youth camp experience. Uh, But beyond that, like, in our normal everyday lives, my hope and my heart is that you would today feel deeply stirred uh, to say yes to God. Because if God's will will be done, and it will, and if God's kingdom is coming, and it is, and if God's kingdom is here, and it is, that should stir you to say, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go where God calls me because he sends me in his name. That's, that's, that's going to be our big takeaway today. Uh, we're going to see this in the book of Esther as we go forward. Uh, but I, here's what I want to do is, is I want to just give us a quick overview. If you're new, if this is the first time you've been here, we're going to just do a quick overview, and then I'm going to 
we're gonna, you know, we got uh, like 30 minutes to do this, so we're gonna, we're gonna do it, right? You can't, you know, you can't beat sharing some testimonies from youth, but uh, so here's our quick uh, update. Where are we at? So we got, the, the book of Esther is really a book about four characters. Uh, you've got uh, Mordecai, who is a Jewish man, uh, who adopted his niece Esther when she became an orphan. Uh, and uh, she, he raised her, he cared for her throughout her life. He's, he's a faithful man of God, uh, Mordecai. Uh, and then you have Esther. She's a, a young Jewish woman. She was Mordecai's niece. Uh, she was extremely beautiful, and she won the heart of the king of Persia. Uh, and at the time, this king is extremely powerful. She becomes his bride uh, and becomes becoming the queen. Uh, and this is a powerful move of God through the human events of this book. So remember, so Mordecai and Esther are Jewish people. The Jewish people have no political power. They have no social power. They don't have any money. They're at like the bottom of the society. And God reaches down, and I love this. This is why it's called the book of Esther. And he grabs a woman. He takes a woman and he lifts her to this position of great power and works redemption through this woman. Uh, and, and it's a beautiful story, right? A lot of times people are like, ah, oh, the Old Testament, it's such a chauvinistic book. And I'm like, uh, there's two books like named after women, the Bible's like saying, hey, look at what God does. Look at the beauty of image bearers, uh, you know, who are women, who are faithful to God. Uh, and, and, and so Esther is elevated. Uh, she's lifted up. I would say similar things to you if you're here and you're a woman, like God looks at you and he says, like, I've got better things for you. I want to lift you up. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your social setting is. It doesn't matter what your wealth is. It doesn't matter how much political power. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Uh, it, you know, beauty doesn't even matter at the end of the day. Uh, and none of these things matter. And, uh, but God can call you, lift you up, pick you up. Uh, and that's what God wants to do to, to women. And he wants to do it to men as well. And, uh, and not, to, not to be the best version of you you can, but to be a son or daughter of God. Uh, that's the highest calling uh, that you can have. Uh, the next character we have in this, we got Mordecai and Esther, these two Jewish characters, an uncle and his niece, uh, who he's adopted. We got King Ahasuerus. Uh, he is the king of Persia, an extremely powerful character, uh, somewhat volatile and foolish, uh, but he trusts greatly in the people near to him and his royal court, and he's very self-interested. So like this kingdom he, he leads is huge, and he's very, very powerful, uh, and Esther becomes his queen. Um, Haman, uh, he's a character in the book. He died at the end of our last uh, chapter. We read chapter seven. He dies at the end of chapter seven. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, but he was an Agagite. Um, this is like a people group who were historic rivals to the Jews. So you can think racial tension, right, between the Agagites and the Jewish people. Uh, so Haman hates Jewish people, and, uh, and he finds himself in a great position of power. He is the right hand of the king, right? So you got Esther, uh, who is a Jewish woman, which, by the way, the king, when she becomes queen. He does not know she's Jewish. Uh, Haman does not know she's Jewish. So you've got uh, the king's right hand is Haman, uh, and he hates all the Jewish people. He hates Mordecai especially, uh, and he uses his power and money. So Haman, he has all the power. He has all the authority. He has all the money, uh, right? He has social status. He has political power. He has wealth. Uh, uh, you know, oftentimes I think we think if we don't have those things, like how are we going to make a change? Well, Haman had all those things, and he dies at the end of chapter 7. So uh, they're not that helpful in the end uh, if God is against you. Uh, and so uh, he uses his power and money to bribe the king into help letting Haman write his own edict, ordering the annihilation of all the Jewish people. All right, so at the end uh, of the last section, so you got these two Jewish people who had no power, and then Esther's lifted up to the top, uh, but then this edict goes out, and in this edict, uh, all the Jewish people in this great kingdom, this great empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, all the Jewish people are going to be killed. Um, and, uh, and so this is bad news. This is really bad news. Um, so, uh, and Haman in particular is like coming after Mordecai. So like Mordecai's got like a double death sentence on him because uh, Haman builds this 75 foot gallows, which is like where you hang people and 75 feet, that's tall. He's trying to shame uh, Mordecai by killing him in a very public way. Uh, and so he builds this very tall gallows to hang him. Uh, and at the same time, Esther goes boldly to the king. She risks her life. She could be put to death for how boldly she goes to the king. Uh, and yet she 
she does it to be faithful. She's like, if I perish, I perish. Like she's like, I'm gonna lay down my life for my people. Uh, Jesus and John says there's no greater love than this than one who would lay down their life for their friends. Esther exemplifies this kind of love. Uh, But God gives her favor. So she goes, the king hears her, uh, and the king is suddenly being guided by God's hidden hand. One night he can't sleep, uh, and he's reading in the, in, in, in like the books of like notable deeds, and, and Mordecai comes up. Uh, the morning before Mordecai is supposed to be killed by Haman, uh, Mordecai comes up, uh, and, it's, and in chapter two, Mordecai basically he, like rescues the king from an assassination plot in his own court. He overhears it. Uh, and, and so then the king's like, oh, we got to honor Mordecai. This ends up saving Mordecai. It ends up leading to Haman's death. Uh, it gives the king great favor towards the Jewish people. And he decides, uh, that, that Esther then reveals that she's Jewish. Uh, she reveals that Haman is the one who's, who's created this evil plot uh, to kill all the Jewish people. Uh, and by the end of the book, uh, the king has Haman hung on the gallows he built for Mordecai. So our big conclusion last week was this. You and I, we have the guilt of Haman. Right, when we read the book, we should, we should recognize like we are as evil as Haman. Like that's who we were before Christ. We have the guilt of Haman. We have the death sentence of Mordecai. But the death we had coming landed on another and the just wrath of the king is satisfied. That's how chapter seven ends. Um, and, and this symbolizes what Jesus does for us. It has many allusions to Christ. You and I, we've been redeemed from death. We had a sentence to death. Like Mordecai had a double sentence of death. Haman wanted to kill him. Uh, there's this edict out. And, and yet he was rescued from death. Uh, the guilt it was abated uh, in this story. And the wrath of the king fell uh, on Christ Uh, who gave his life willingly to pay for our sin, death, and brokenness. So Esther sort of has this allusion towards, uh, you know, another dying in in, in our place. And uh, and in our case, it's it's not Haman. It's a a perfect spotless lamb. Uh, And... um, and so th- th- this, this, this points us to uh, the ultimate story uh, of redemption in, in, in God's uh, great plan of redemption. But Esther, uh, it, it alludes to uh, the great redemption plan of Christ. So we're going to pick up in chapter 8 today. Um, I'm going to read this. And then we're going we're gonna to kind of move chapter by chapter, or section by section. I'll summarize some sections. But, uh, so there's where we're at. Um, Haman's been killed, but the edict is still out there. Uh, Esther chapter 8, here's what it says. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. So Haman's been killed, uh, so all his property comes into uh, royal control, and he gives it over to Queen Esther. Um, So now all his wealth is her wealth. Uh, And it says, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. So he now tell, now Esther who, who the king loves, says like, hey, this is Mordecai. He's my uncle. He adopted me. He's cared for me. In fact, the reason he heard about that murderous plot uh, to destroy you was because he was, he was taking care of me. He was checking in on me when I got brought uh, into the royal court. Uh, so uh, Mordecai comes before the king, and what does the king do? Here's what the king does. It says, and the king took off his signet ring. All right, so the signet ring, the king's ring, it's like this is his authority. And he takes his authority He takes his name and it says he gives his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman and gave it to Mordecai. So Haman was the right hand of the king. Now Mordecai becomes the right hand of the king. And then Esther sets Mordecai over the house of Haman. So again, Haman had a double death sentence uh, and now he's being lifted up, right? This redemption from death. This is what God does for us. You may be in this room today feeling, I got so many things against me. I got a double death sentence in my life. I got, this isn't going well. That's not going well. God wants you to know, like right now today, right? He has better things for you. He has better things for you. We're gonna see some of that today, All right? So Mordecai is now set in as the right hand uh, of, of the king. Uh, verse three, then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. She wants this edict to end. When the, he, when the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king, right? So she actually risks her life again here by falling at the feet of the king, you know, basically coming to plead with him and he accepts her, he hears her. 
Uh, and she says, if it pleases the king and if I have found favor in his sight and, if the, ki- and if, it, if the thing seems right before the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamandetha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are all in the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Okay, so catch this here. A couple of things. One, first, he's saying here that, hey, that other edict that went out, it was, it was signed with the king's signet ring. It can't be revoked. It can't be canceled. It can't be stopped. But here's the thing. You guys can write uh, a new edict uh, that somehow uh, supersedes that old edict, somehow answers that old edict. And, um, uh, and so that's, that's what he's basically telling them to do. Um, What's interesting here, too, is, is, again, think about the king and the signet ring that he gives over to Mordecai. He gives uh, to the, the, the Jewish, now the Jewish people ha- have this authority. Now the Jewish people can go in the name of the king. Like, I want you to know that you and I, like, this is an illusion, a lot of illusions, right? That's a lot of, uh, of looking ahead, a lot of connections, a lot of ties uh, to what, what uh, Jesus does for us, right? You and I, uh, in the word of God, the Bible says all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Christ, and he sends us in his name. Right? He sends us on behalf uh, uh, of his kingdom. So you and I, like in this room, catch this, you and I, we go in the name of the king, right? Like You're like, oh, how can I make a difference in this world? How can I do anything in this world? Jesus is sending you in his name. It's like he's given you his signet ring. Right, this is who we are as the church, right? Think about this. Like they can, like Haman, uh, or rather Mordecai and Esther see this as like, man, they have, they have power and authority uh, to go on behalf of the king. Uh, and so they're gonna use that power. Let me ask you, did you know if you are in Christ, you have power and authority to go in the name of Jesus faithfully to share the gospel, to love, uh, to, to serve, uh, to give your life over to seeing God's kingdom grow and expand, uh, to not putting yourself first, but to put the kingdom of God first, to put others first. You have power and authority uh, to do that. And the question is, are you using it? Are you using the, the power and authority God has given you uh, to build his kingdom, uh, to help bring redemption into a hopeless, dying, and despairing world? That's a question I would ask, because you and I are given this same authority. In fact, we're given a greater authority than Mordecai and Esther. We don't get the authority of a king, right? There is no more, like, Persian Empire. That's dead. It's gone. It's in the past. Uh, but now, like, you you're given the authority of the king of kings, right? The king of the whole universe has given you his authority in Christ, right? When we go in Jesus, we go in his name as his representatives. Uh, this is a big deal. Like, don't miss this. Right, coming to Christ is not just, oh, I got my heaven insurance policy. Now I live selfishly. I live my life. I live for my ways and my plans uh, until I die. Like, that will always end in emptiness. That will always end in futility. Like, if you're living that life, you know that it's true, right? Most of the time we just say, oh, the next vacation, that'll satisfy me. Or the next, you know, set of digits in my bank account, that'll satisfy me. But you know the truth is that those things do not satisfy. God's called you to a higher calling. God's called you to a royal calling. God's called you to a kingdom calling, and he's given you his authority to go, right? Most people would say, you know, that it's, it's, it's a kind of a questionable thing to give five days of your life to go down to a youth camp, but I'm like, man, I can't imagine a better way to spend my time, right? That's an example. It's like, seek first the kingdom of God. Lay down my life to, to advance God's kingdom. Lay down my life to serve other kids, you know. Lay down my life. Sometimes you're serving kids, they're giving you zero percent you know, you're, you're giving 100%, they're pouring out zero. I, I meet people who are like, oh, I, I gave up because these kids, they just don't care. They don't appreciate it. It's like, listen, who were you in Christ? You were dead in your sins. And what did God do? He gave 100%, all right? He came and he lived and he died for you. And guess what? He calls you to do the same. You, we give 100% because this world is dying and broken. And God's like, hey, when you, like, you can only do this, right? By the way, this doesn't, you're, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to do something on your own strength. I'm not saying, okay, get off your lazy butts and, and go, go work hard. What I'm saying is, guys, when you really see who you are, when you really see what he's done, when you really recognize you have eternal life to draw from. Jesus says you have a, a well of eternal water, uh, the Holy Spirit, this infinite well of God that has no end, that has no depth, like, like there's no end to the depths 
uh, of the glory of God, of the life of God. It's eternal, that you can drink from every day. That's what you draw and you drink from that. And then out of the overflow, you go pour out yourself. You go pour out your life, knowing that you're always like, you know, I, I say this is that when I'm rested in Christ, right, even my busyness feels restful. I want you to know, why? Because I have eternal life. I got a pool I can draw from limitlessly. When you're rested in Christ, even your busyness will feel restful. I felt restful all week. I had, a youth, I had some youth leaders and youth kids like coming up to me. Like I had a few youth leaders say, I don't understand you, right? You're like cracking jokes. We got like kids with like demons in them and you're out here like telling jokes and casting demons out. Like, and I'm like, well, guys, we got eternal life, right? Like the battle has already been won. Right? Even the most resistant kid, the battle has already been won. And you know what they need? They need to know, hey, this is eternal life. Right? Like, this is what it looks like. It's like, like we, don't we stand in an unshakable kingdom? What that means is when you really get it, when you really root yourself in it, you yourself become unshakable. Right? Not so that you can go get a yacht and live your best life. No, no, no. So that you can be like, I am, I am God's servant here to serve. Right? How did Jesus say, what, what did he say was greatness? He said, you become the servant of all. You wash the feet. Right? Like, I got real dirty this week uh, and stinky sometimes. You know, you don't, I had one day over the last two weeks where I forgot to put deodorant on in the day. By about three o'clock, I was like, oh no, uh, I can't worship or I'll murder somebody. Like, uh, on accident. But like the idea here is that we are, we are, we are called to this high calling, like, like and you, 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 you have an eternal life to draw from as you go out. That's what I'm trying to get at. Like, do you know you have the authority of the King of Kings? And are you going in that authority? All right, so the, the book continues here. The rest of chapter eight, they write a new edict um, that the Jewish people can now defend themselves from it. So they write an edict saying, okay, now if anyone attacks you, you can fight back. You can defend yourself. Uh, and there's basically one day where the Jewish people can fight back. It actually ends up being about two days because there was a different rule in the first edict for a r- rural, rural, oh man, out in the country uh, and then in the big cities. Uh, you all, we all got those words, right, we struggle with. That's a hard, there's too many, too many R's all together there. Uh, but so like they get a new edict uh, and in this new edict, the Jews can defend themselves. Uh, and so they're able to fight back. Um, Esther chapter 8, uh, 15 through 17, it says, then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue. You haven't just given the signet ring. You've been called royalty, sons and daughters of the king of kings, right? Sia, I love that word she shared, you know. She's a daughter of the king of kings. Uh, she, so he comes out in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, right? Uh, so the city that's, that's, that's full of non-Jewish people is shouting and rejoicing uh, at Mordecai uh, being uh, the right hand of God. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, right? Now, okay, I want you to catch this. Because I had some leaders coming up to me at youth camp like, like, they were literally like, I'm just so glad you're here. Like, you, see, you just seem so, you know, it's like, they're like in full-blown panic mode. And we were a little bit sleep deprived. And it's like, no, in this chapter, right, what I'm reading here, Mordecai's coming out clothed in royalty. And it says the Jews are celebrating. They had light and gladness and joy and honor. But the edict calling them to death is still in action. All right, this is a very interesting allusion to where we're at today, because you and I, we live in a fallen world, right? But one day, Jesus is going to come back, and I meet Christians who, it's like their, deep, their default you know, disposition is depression, right? Uh, and their default hope is, we just need more political power, and we just got to fix the pol- political system, and it's like, that's not, that's not it. Like, like what, what I see is, if your heart is heavy, uh, if your heart is sorrowful when it comes to the kingdom of God, you've missed something. All right, what, what's crazy about this is, is the Jewish people who have a death sentence coming, it still says that they have light and gladness and joy and honor. They recognize God's redemption is bigger than any darkness that could exist in this world. Like, do you know that? That God's redemption is bigger than any darkness that could exist in this world. That gives you strength to one, celebrate, which is what we do on Sundays. That's why we gather. That's why we sing. We're celebrating. We have lightness. We have joy. We have gladness. We have honor because of Christ. All right? Uh, but we're waiting one day for the full victory to come. It's not quite here. There's still darkness out there. There's still darkness around us. Um, 
So it goes on here, it says, in every province and every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. So God creates this great reversal where all of a sudden, uh, where there's this edict out there to kill all the Jews, suddenly there's a new edict out there that says the Jews can defend themselves and God's redemption begins. Uh, God's redemption begins. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and so all of a sudden now, like the favor of, of, of the Jewish people, the favor of God's people has completely changed. People are saying, no, no, I'm a Jewish person, right? So they can get protection. Uh, and it's interesting because there's risk to that, right? Like in our day and age, you might feel like, oh, if I tell people I'm a Christian, if they know I'm a Christian, like suddenly there's a risk to that. Well, what I would say this is, is, is that when you really recognize the redemption of God, that the redemption of God is greater than any darkness in this world, you recognize that, that, that there's nothing that you need to fear. There's nothing you need to fear. Right, the, the book goes on here in chapter uh, 9. Um, it says, now in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, this is where the great, this is like where the great attack on the Jewish people is supposed to happen. It was the 12th month, the month of Adar. On the 13th day, this is the day it was supposed to happen. It says, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. God's great reversal, death from life. You and I, we've experienced a great reversal. We call it the resurrection of Christ. Death being defeated. He died. And then the greatest reversal in all of human history, life from death, resurrection. I, I love it. It's wonderful. This is an allusion to that great reversal. It says, on the day when the edict was supposed to be carried out, on the day when God's people looked like they were in their worst spot, on that very day, the reverse occurred. The Jews, God's people, gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in the cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, right? Again, this is crazy too. Like the Jewish people aren't out trying to destroy anyone. They're out there defending themselves, right? Fighting those who want to cause them harm. That was how the edict was specifically written. And no one could stand against them, for fear of them had fallen on all peoples. Again, God's invisible hand has moved. All the officials of the provinces, so all the authorities, all the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. And did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men and also killed uh, Parshandatha and Dalphin and Asphatha, the, the, uh, and Paratha and Adala and Eridatha and Parmashta and Erisai and Eridai and Vezatha, right? The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamandatha, the enemy of the Jews but they laid no hand on the plunder, right? So that, that portion with all those names there, those were Haman's sons, right? So Haman, who before was bragging about how much he had, his family, his sons, uh, his sons were put to death because they came to kill the Jews, right? Like, like father, like sons, apparently. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so uh, here we see the Jewish people taking action against those who attack them and achieving a great victory. They were sentenced to death, but God instead gives them victory and life and a powerful reversal, right? And, and here's, here's a takeaway. There is action to take in the name of the king, right? For you and I, guys, there's action to take in the name of the king, um, and we are called to step out in faith and obedience and seeing God's great reversal work out. Did you know that? Like, I started this off talking about it. Like, there's death, there's darkness out in our culture. There's out death and darkness out in our world. You and I are called to step out in faith and obedience uh, to help see this reversal work out. God's kingdom uh, is God's great reversal that's coming into the world. God's will being done. This is, this is, this is, this is what should give us confidence to go boldly in faith and obedience. Who can stop us in Christ? That's a great question to ask. Who can stop us in Christ? The Bible says no one, nothing can. Esther 10, the, the, the book ends like this. It says, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? 
For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. All right, you can see this. This, this. this demonstrates a dramatic character shift from Mordecai and Haman. Haman sought his own good. Haman sought his own wealth. Haman sought to build his own life, and in the end, he lost it all. Mordecai, rather, laid his life down. The little he had, he laid it down. He, he laid down his, you know, his bachelor life to adopt his, his orphaned niece and, and his faithfulness and his service to others uh, and his willingness to, to, to be small uh, for the sake of God. God glorified him and lifted him up. Jesus says to us, if you seek to find your life, you will lose it. If you seek to make your own life, he's saying, if you seek to live just for yourself, in the end you'll lose it, just like Haman. But then he says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. He's telling us that if we lay down our way, we, 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 we let Jesus take over, we let him become Lord of our lives instead of ourselves, right? It's really like, there's, there's a picture of, you know, if you, you imagine driving a car, it's like, in a very real sense, like, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta get in the passenger seat of your own life and put Jesus in the driver's seat. I, like every second, every second of my life, every minute of my life, every hour of my life, every day of my life, it, I need to be fully surrendered to Jesus. And here's the thing, that's not a work. That's not a work. All right, that's God's glory and redemption. Here's the thing, every second of my life that I'm Lord of, I will mess up, right? I drive the car into the tree. That's how I got into faith, right? I had wrecked my life and I was like, Jesus, help me. And he was like, okay, but you gotta give it all. all right, some of you in this room, you're, 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 you're still in the driver's seat of your life. And Jesus is saying, like, he's saying, I'm, in, I'm, I'm not just a savior, I'm a Lord. Right, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta put him in the driver's seat. You gotta give your life over to him. <coughs> right, some of us are in the passenger seat and we're like, yeah, but if God starts to turn the car away, I don't wanna hit the, you know, that's how you, that's how you crash. That's how you ride the car off the road. You reach over and you, you know, nobody does that, right? And so here we have, we, have, we, we, just, we have this example from Mordecai who God glorifies, God lifts up, right? and he, he lived his life to serve others. It's even said here, it says, uh, he, he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So he laid down his own glory to seek uh, the good of others, and God lifted up Mordecai and, and put him into a place of power. God was able, in the story of Esther, in the book of Esther, to lift a people who had no status, they had no power, they had no wealth, and through the faithfulness, through the simple faithfulness of two people, Mordecai and Esther, God worked a great redemption. Right? I want you to know this. Your faithfulness always matters. Right? When you say yes to Jesus, God never wastes it. Right? He either produces fruit through it or he produces fruit in you. Right? Those are what, those, one of those things will always happen when you walk faithfully with God. You may not see the outcome you want to see, but if you don't see the outcome you want to see, God begins to do a precious work inside of you. Right? The Bible actually says that that's the better thing. The Bible, that's what's crazy. The Bible says it's better when you're faithful and it, it goes poorly for you uh, or it doesn't go the way you want because then it says, again, God produces something in you so precious, it's worth more than gold. It's like worth more than like the most precious metals and the, and the, the wealth that our world treasures so much. The Bible says that, that, that God produces something great in you, fruit great in you that you can't get any other way. Your faithful actions always matter and faithful obedience will always be more powerful then you realize it can be. That's the question. Like, are you living trying to guard and protect and keep your own life? Or are you living a life full of faith where you say, Lord, this day is your day. My life is your life. How can I glorify you today? And I, I think oftentimes when it comes to uh, living in faith, like we, we sort of get to an equilibrium. Some of you in here, you know, you, you, the first time you raise your hands like this, it took a lot of faith. Um, and now it doesn't take so much faith, right? It, it kind of becomes, becomes the normal thing, right? Like, like that, that could be the way faith wor or obedience works sometimes is we, we obey and it takes faith until we get, we get used to it. And, and my question for you would be like, how is God calling you to obey him in ways that take faith? What does it mean to love your spouse in a way that takes faith? What does it mean to love your friends in a way that takes faith? What does it mean to worship God in a way that takes faith? What does it mean to serve in the church in a way that takes faith, right? Faith means it's beyond you. Faith means you have to depend on God. Faith always feels a little bit like death and always delivers glorious life, right? Sin is the opposite. Sin always promises life and delivers terrible death. That's how it tempts us. But faith 
It always feels a little bit like death, but then you see life. God, it's a great like reversal as we walk in faithfulness. And Esther and Mordecai in this book, two characters who just walk in simple faithfulness. God works a mighty, powerful redemption and reversal. I want you to know this. In your neighborhood, in your household, in your schools, right? Everywhere you go, God wants to work a great reversal. Do you know how it works itself out? It works itself out through faithful obedience, right? Again, this is not your own strength. Let me, let me summarize all this in a picture. You and I, we in faith come to Christ, right? We get eternal life. We don't just get a ticket for heaven and we just live our lives for our own thing, right? We come to Christ and we, we get this in well, this eternal life that we drink from. I drink from it this morning, right? When I wake up, you know what I do? I, this morning, I listen to 1 John. Uh, you know, I listen to 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. That's where my audio Bible was at, so I'm listening to them, and I'm thinking through them, and I'm praying through them, and other mornings, I wake up, I do my journaling Bible, and I'm, I'm in 2 Corinthians right now, and I'm really diving in deep, and, and so every morning, I, I wake up, and I, and I say, Lord, this mo- morning is yours, and I, in faith, I open my word, and in obedience, I say, Lord, speak to me today. And he died. And so we draw and we get filled up, right? Every day at youth camp, it's like, I, I woke up and it's like, we're going to worship all day. I'm going to minister all day. But I'm like, I'm, I'm laying in my bed and I'm cracking open my Bible and I'm drinking of Jesus. Like, Jesus, what do you have for me today? And he spoke and he stirred. And it's a chaotic environment. I got, I got youth boys like showering and farting and doing all kinds of things in that cabin. And yet the gates of hell will not prevail. Uh, and uh, smelled like sulfur. Uh, so... <laughs> Commonly associated with hell, uh, I can firsthand, I can tell you, yes, it is. Uh, so, but like I'm in my word and I'm getting filled up because I know, Lord, this may feel weak right now. This may feel weak right now. I may not even feel anything, but I know this. It's not about the, the, the faithfulness feeling like some way. It's about knowing God blesses faithfulness and he never lets it go to waste. All right. And we draw from this well. This is the only way to do it. And then we go. In the name of the king, with his authority, with his signet ring, right, to see him pull off great redemption. Some of you people, like, or some of us in this room, and many of the people we know, like, we look at the world and we say, it's hopeless. We've been issued a death sentence. The day of reckoning is coming, right? Maybe some of you are like, the day of reckoning is here. There's a Democrat who's president, right? Like, there are people who think this way. All right, but when you wake up and you get into the word, you know what happens? You see and touch your eternal life. You're like, Lord, you're the Lord of glory. And suddenly you're like, man, I have hope. I have lightness. I have joy. I have a reason to sing and, and I'm filled to overflowing. And now you realize, oh, it's over the overflow of my eternal life. It's from that deep well of the Spirit's empowering goodness and glory that I now go in faith and I serve. And whether my body may be weary, my spirit is alive. All right. And when my soul is rested in Jesus, even my busyness feels restful. And when my soul isn't rested in Christ, my rest feels restless. You're Americans. I know you know all about restless rest. I, you sit and you watch the show and you're like, is this it? You sit and you scroll on the phone, is this it? And you feel empty. It's like emptiness to emptiness. If you're a Christian, that should never be. Right now we have weak moments, but God loves us. Here's the thing. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to say God has a better life for you. God has a better life for you. He has so much good for you. He's calling you to draw from this well. If you don't draw from the well, like you're not going to be able to go out in boldness and faithfulness. But as you draw from him, as you realize he is your eternal life, and you say, Lord, I want to see your kingdom come. He'll say, it is coming. Come join me as I do my work. I'm going to read to you two scriptures, and then I'm going to, I'm going to call us to response, and we're going to worship here. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, and Jesus came to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has all the authority, not just the authority of the king, you know, the king of Persia. He has all the authority, not just on earth. He has all the authority in heaven and on earth. What does he say about this authority? He says, now go, therefore, in his authority, right, Backed by his authority, go therefore and make disciples. What is this work we're doing? It's serving by making disciples. That's sharing the gospel, teaching people about the Bible. I make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our king doesn't just call us to go in his name. He goes with us as we go in his power. 
Not just his authority, his power. We have the Holy Spirit, right? Like, we don't just have the authority with us, we have the power with us in the Holy Spirit. This is why it came, and you need great power, right? To go make disciples. This is the call, this is the service, this is the washing of feet. It can be difficult to say to your coworker, to say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Hey, where are you at spiritually? This morning, Parker shared a, a powerful story of just going out to pray, and, and this lady was out walking her dogs, and, and she said, hey, what are you guys doing out here? And, and they're like, oh, we're just praying. And, and he says she just broke down and started talking about her great need for God. Right? And I know Parker. He's a man who walks faithfully. So occasionally, God's like, here, let me show you my kingdom at work. Like, right time, right place, here's a heart hungry for you, or hungry for the king, hungry for God. We have a call of action to go make disciples, to evangelize, to teach about Jesus in the Bible, to baptize, to equip. We got to do this out of the well of our eternal life. And I tell you what, when you do, it's a joy. Like hopefully you're up here and I'm like, that guy seems really happy that he was at youth camp. Yeah, it's tiring, but man, where else would I want to be? Right? Where else would we go? Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Jesus alone is the one who brings the kingdom. Jesus alone is the one who is the light in the darkness. We, I'm, the world is full of darkness. I see darkness everywhere I go. Of course I want to go where the light is shining brightest. Of course I want to be a person who goes like, and, and gets to experience that light changing and transforming. Kids getting delivered from generational evil. You want to know why? When I'm talking about demonic oppression, what I'm talking about is kids growing up with generational sin and generational evil in their homes, neglected children, like horrible stories. Kids that it's a miracle they're at youth camp. Now my bro, Dylan, you know, he's, he does great outreach, so he's brought some kids around that had some very difficult lives. But what I know is God can set them free, and I watched him do it. I watched him do it. I watched him do it in five days, which is shockingly impressive. Ephesians 6, my last passage I'm going to read to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You hear that? When you go in obedience, it's not your strength. It's not your might. Your body will get tired sometimes when you do this. But you go in his strength and in his might. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You hear that? In the book of Esther, the enemy was flesh and blood. The enemy was the enemies of the Jews. But I want you to know, and and did you notice in the passages in Esther, it said that all the people and all the nations trembled at the authority in Mordecai. I want you to know something, that our enemy is not flesh and blood, How is our enemy described? Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I want you to know this, that the one thing they fear more than anything else is the kingdom of God at hand. It's the glory of the Lord filling up saints that they would relish and be glad in their eternal life that we would go faithfully as we're full of Christ in his strength and in his might, and we would go out and we'd make disciples. All right, we'd go see you know, kids that are, that are locked up or people that are in hard situations or, 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 or work with orphans or adopt kids. Like We would go push against the walls of the kingdom of God, or, or, of the kingdom of darkness rather, in the name of the kingdom of God. And what the Bible tells us is, is that this is our enemy, this is who we wrestle, but do not fear, don't be afraid. Because the victory has been won. And just like Mordecai, given the authority and clothed in royalty, caused fear to go through the net, you and I, when you cover yourself in the authority and the power and the armor of God, you have nothing to fear. In fact, you have everything you need to go see the kingdom of darkness uh, defeated. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. All right, again, we, we stand in an unshakable hope. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, the word of God. That's, that's it, you know, where do you get truth? The word of God. Having the blessed breastplate of righteousness. All right, this is righteousness by faith in Christ. This is not your own righteous, righteousness. You did not make this breastplate. It is from Christ. You wear Christ, he guards your heart. 
by his righteousness, not your own. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I love this so much that, that the gospel gives readiness. I'm always ready to share. I'm always ready to say, you know, to a youth kid or to a, a person, hey, where are you at with Jesus? You know, uh, and, and always being ready right, to what? Talk about the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Oh, I love it. The sword of the spirit. You, have, you don't just have the authority of God. You have the power of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. All right, so this is a lot. This is a, this is a lot. We crammed it in a small section here. We had all those testimonies about youth, but it's great. I mean, here's the thing. I, just, I think testimonies uh, coupled with the teaching of the word of God, I think it's extra powerful. And, and my call to you this morning is going to be simple. The band can go ahead and come up here. Here's, here's my invitation. It, it is first, I believe God this morning is calling some of you to say yes to God's call. That in your life, you have lacked uh, obedience. You've lacked faithfulness. Maybe it's, it's, you've lacked obedience over here in drawing from this eternal well, that you don't wake up and draw from the living water of God, that you don't wake up and, and get yourself, you know, get yourself just, you know, happy in the glory of Jesus, happy in your salvation, all right, that, that your mind is, is other, other places. You're trying to find your hope in this world. Well, I believe God would call you to say yes to him, um, and maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a call to be more bold and, and obedient in the Great Commission, to go make disciples, uh, to share the gospel, to, to, to speak openly with your friends, to, to be bold with other people here in the church. I mean, even just asking that question here in the church, like, hey, how'd God stir you today at church? Hey, what's God doing in your life? You know, hey, come to youth camp with me next year. That sounds like something I want to see, uh, you know. And I think secondarily, uh, I want to stir you to respond to ask for more faith, to believe God is calling you to be a part of his kingdom and changing our world. Some of you in here, you, you, you think of yourself far too insignificantly, right? But I want you to know this is Jesus died for you. And he didn't die because you are significant. But in his death and in his invitation, you become significant. You become a son and daughter of God, equipped, empowered by God, given uh, authority to go in his name. And so some of you this morning, you're struggling with faith. Am I really called? Am I really invited? Is his righteousness really covering me? And I just invite you, if, either, if you're in either one of those categories, you need, you need more faith to believe God's calling you, uh, or you're just convicted about not walking in faith and obedience in your life. Uh, we're going to have prayer teams up here in the very front, this front two side rows. Come forward, get prayer. Right, those steps of faith can feel a little bit like death, right? Coming forward to respond to get prayer, but God will bless you with powerful life as you do. Amen? All right, we're going to worship. I'm going to pray for us briefly, but here's the thing. Don't miss the opportunity to come get prayer if you're feeling stirred. Uh, God will bless you. Heavenly Father, I ask that this morning you would just come and have your way here at Living Hope. Lord, uh, it, your we just need your power today. I just ask, Holy Spirit, come and do your work. Do what you want to do in every heart here today. God, do what you want to do in this church. Let your kingdom come like we've never seen it before. Let your will be done like we've never seen it before here at Living Hope Church. Father, we pray you break captives free, that you heal hearts, you heal bodies, that, God, people would give their lives over to you. Father, I pray you would pour out fire into souls, that people would say yes to you. Lord, I pray for those who are, are going in weakness and death to death and hopelessness to hopelessness, that, Father, you would stir their hearts to drink of the eternal life that you won for them and the great reversal where you overcame death with your glorious life. Father, I just ask that you would bless us in every way. Be glorified as we praise your name. We are a people of joy and of light and of gladness and of honor because of the glory of the Son. And Father, I just ask, have your way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts and in this church. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.